This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hi, friends. Um, so how about that coronavirus, guys? I'm sure you've all heard about it by now. Um, and yeah, I live in Ohio, which, I mean, it got an award or something. Not an award, like not like a physical award, but like a, hey, you're doing the best to keep coronavirus from doing what it does. And, you know, I was really into this idea of, you know, coronavirus for a while because, I mean, obviously not the idea of people getting sick and dying, but I was like, hey, maybe I can have some time off work and uh, work on my book or this podcast, right? No, 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 no. That's not how this has worked out. This is not how this is going for me. They shut down restaurants today. Um, Mike DeWine, our governor, question mark. I'm not sure what he is in the world of things. Probably a governor. Sounds right. So he shut down restaurants and now they can only do takeout, whatever. Cool. I completely understand that. They've shut down schools for the next three weeks and possibly until the end of the year. Cool. I, you know what? Fine. I can understand that too. But today I I heard that there's rumor about him um, releasing inmates and like doing stuff with prison and jail to like either scuttle people out of there or shift people around or, you know, release people who had like pretty harmless crimes, I would guess. And um, that's where I have the problem because like you're closing down restaurants and you're doing all this stuff, but you're like, but I still have to go to work. Like, I still have to go to work every day. Inmates are getting released from prison. And actually, here's my beef, and I'm only going to complain about this once. I've gone to a swing shift now, which is just terrible sounding to me. Um, 6 to 2.30, or no, sorry, 6 to 2.15, because you have to have a 15-minute break between shifts so you don't come into contact with anybody. 6 to 2.15 for two weeks, and then 2.30 to 10.45 p.m. for the other two weeks indefinitely. So people are getting out of prison and my whole life gets fucked up. How does that make any sense? I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer and I'm not trying to whine. So sorry, I am whining just a little bit, but I mean, you're, you're not new here. You know, what's up, you know, I'd be, I'd be a whiny bitch sometimes. So I'm just a little upset, but, um, so this is actually the second time I've recorded this today. I recorded it once. My boyfriend was still asleep so I couldn't get into the podcast closet to record. Also, you would have been able to hear him snoring, so I tried to record out in the dining room, and let me tell you, the acoustics out there, despite the fact that Penny was clacking around and the cat wouldn't stop screaming, um, the acoustics out there are really shitty. Not that the acoustics in here are good, but they're extra bad out there, is all I have to say. So, um... Yeah, I'm re-recording this, so sorry it's late. It is 8.32 as I'm recording this. You'll probably see it in about 10 minutes online. <laughs> but I, I, it wasn't going to work. I listened back to like the first 30 seconds of the other one and I had to delete it because it was so terrible. So, welcome to the podcast closet. Welcome to Cabernet and True Crime. It's your short, well this will be a serial killer Sunday because this is going to be a serial killer, um, as I'm sure you heard from the title. And, um... Uh, yeah, so today I'm just going to get into it. Normally I have like a little spielish spiel, but I already wasted three minutes and 50 seconds whining about um, me, basically. <laughs> so, which I know other people have, it. it's so much worse, and I know I shouldn't complain. But like, just, you know, and I'm on my pedestal for half a second, I'm just going to bitch about it, right? So, um, I'm done. 
I'm sorry if your family or anybody you know has been negatively impacted by the coronavirus. I know it's a very serious matter, and I know that every country and every state out there is um, doing their best they can to control it, and I understand their methodology of it. Um, I know my dad is very elder, well, not very elderly, that makes him sound old. He's 65. Um, well, he'll be 65. And I know my boyfriend's dad um, just had a, like a surgery, so he's also, you know, immunocompromised. And I, I would never be able to forgive myself if I caught the virus and gave it to one of them when they couldn't... Um, defend themselves as much as I can, right? So, um, I do take it very seriously. I'm not trying to get anybody sick. I wish I were on lockdown, honestly. That's kind of what I'm most mad about, is I wish I was, like, able to be forced to work from home so that I wouldn't come into contact with, because, like, listen here, being on lockdown sounds like a delight. Like, to be told, like, hey, you can't leave your house. Yeah, I'm into that. Like, I'll take Penny out and that is it. Like, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm stocked up on groceries. I'm good to go. I don't need to leave my house and nor do I want to interact with people. Dude, social distance. I've been practicing my whole life for social distancing and quarantining myself. So, like, this is my time to shine. Just let me do it. Don't force me to work, right? <laughs> Just let me thrive in my natural environment, which is not talking to anybody but myself inside of a podcast closet, right? Um, okay. I'm really done complaining about it now. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the Freeway Phantom. Um, I found him on a, um, I think it was like a BuzzFeed unsolved crime thing. I have a couple of them that I'm, I'm kind of interspersing through this series, I guess. Um, there's really, and I know there's a whole bunch of rabbit holes we could go down, but I wanted to keep this short, sweet, to the point, and see if people liked this or had any interest in this, and then maybe I could go through, um, like a little deeper into this. Uh, I just wanted to keep it like a super short serial killer Sunday short. Um, I'm sorry in advance if you hear my nails clacking. I put fake nails on as like uh, I thought it was a good idea. It wasn't, so that's what it sounds like. So if you like ASMR, you'll you'll hear it in the background, and if not, I'm sorry in advance because I you can hear it every time I scroll. Okay, so the Freeway Phantom. Uh, he had one, two, three... I should have counted this beforehand. One, two, three, four, five, six, possibly seven victims. Okay. Um, so Carol Denise Spinks, um, she was murdered on April 25th, 1971. Spinks was 13. She had gone out to buy groceries from a 7-Eleven and it was only half a mile away from her home. So the 7-Eleven was actually located in Maryland. So these all happened in Washington, D.C. Um, so she had gone across state lines to the 7-Eleven to get um, groceries for her family. And on her way home, she was abducted and Carol's body was found six days later behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital by a highway. She had been physically and sexually assaulted um, and death was ruled by strangulation. She was dressed, but she had no shoes. Um, on July 8th, 1971, Darlenia Denise Johnson, who was 16, also lived in Washington, D.C. Um, she was abducted on the way to her summer job at a rec center. After her abduction, she was reported being seen in a black vehicle with an unidentified black male. Um, her body was found 11 days later on July 19th, 15 feet away from where Carol Spinks' body was found. And weirdly enough, a call had been made... Um, about a week earlier, which was way before the police found the body, a call was made about its location, and, you know, police must not have 
heard any credit to it or didn't take it seriously or didn't have time to look into that lead um, or just maybe thought somebody was pranking them um, because once they found the body, they realized that the the place of where it was was something only the killer would know. So um, they assumed the killer made the call in, but mind you, it was 1971 and technology wasn't as good as it is now. So they had no way to um, even try to backtrack that call. So Darlene's body was... Um, to decompose to determine the cause of death, she was dressed and was also missing her shoes, and police ultimately suspected Darlenia had also died from strangulation. On July 27, 1971, 10-year-old Brenda Faye Crockett was sent to the store by her mother, and she didn't return home. So Brenda's parents are out searching the neighborhood for her, and later that night, um, at around 9.20 p.m., their, phone, their home phone begins to ring. And Brenda had a little sister who was only seven. She had stayed home to wait for the phone call or to wait for Brenda to come back. So she was just hanging out at home waiting to hear something from somebody. And the phone rings and she answers it. And on the phone, surprisingly, was Brenda. And she was crying and saying that, um, quote, a white man picked me up and I'm heading home in a cab. So she mentioned she thought she was in Virginia, um, but as soon as uh, the little sister tried to get any information out of uh, Brenda, she said bye and ended the call. Um, and then later that evening, and I'm assuming the parents probably came home thinking that, you know, Brenda called, she said she was on her way home, so they probably came home to um, be there when she got there. So they were at home and they received another phone call from Brenda, and it was Brenda's mom's boyfriend who actually answered the call. And... Um, she had basically, Brenda had said exactly what she had said to her little sister and saying that, but this time she was alone in a house with a white male. The boyfriend asked for the man to come to the phone and um, Brenda said, I'll see you and hung up. The next morning on July 28th at 5.50 in the morning, Brenda's body was found uh, in an open location on U.S. Route 50 by a hitchhiker in Maryland. She was raped and strangled with a scarf knotted around her neck. She was fully dressed, but yet again, her shoes are missing. Um, on October 1st, 1971, Nino Moshia Yates was 12. Um, she was walking home from the store when she was kidnapped, raped, and strangled. Her body was found merely three hours after her abduction, just off the main road um, in Maryland. It was Pennsylvania Avenue. Her shoes were missing, and police found strange green fibers on her clothing. She was seen by a witness getting into a blue Volkswagen, um, but that lead was futile. And after the death of Ninomoshia Yates, the Daily News coins the term the Freeway Phantom um, in an article that described the crimes. So next is uh, Brenda Denise Woodard. Um, on November 15th, 1971, Brenda was 18. She had just left from getting dinner with friends, and six hours after her meeting, Brenda's body was found near Route 202, and she had been stabbed multiple times and then strangled. She was still wearing her shoes, and a coat was draped over her, and inside the note, or inside the coat was a note, and the coat, or <laughs> the note inside the coat said, and it, it's all jumbled up, and I'm going to try to read it with the spacing that it has, like the lines, um, but there are several really weird capitalizations within all the words so it's it's hard to know if there's any meaning to that i'm sure you can see the note online that's where i saw it so the note says his is tantamount to my insensitivity to people especially women i will admit the others when you can catch me if you can freeway phantom um, based on the handwriting samples the note was written by brenda herself most likely dictated to her by her killer um, the paper came from her own notebook, and based on the handwriting, um, 
police suspected that she may have known her killer. Um, something about the way the letters are written, I don't know if that's something that you can't find more information on because the, the case is still actively open. So I don't know if maybe that was done intentionally by Brenda to maybe give somebody a clue or what, but so the case is still open and they just, they suspect that she knew her killer. Um, strangely, things are quiet for almost a year, but in September of 1972, the Freeway Phantom makes one potentially final appearance. Diane Denise Williams um, was 17-year-old. She was a high school senior. On September 5th, 1972, she cooked dinner for her family and then went to visit her boyfriend. She was last seen getting on a bus around 11.20 at a stop near his house. Um, a few hours later, she was found discovered, dumped along I-25. Her shoes were missing, but there was no sign of sexual assault. Um, and like I said, most people say the slangs end here, but there is one more who has been attributed to the crime spree, and that's 18-year-old Tierra Ann Bryant, who was found on November 26th in 1972 under a bridge. She was the only potential victim that wasn't from the District of Columbia, and so that might be why most people count her out, although her situation is similar. Um, there... Like, there was a lot of commonalities between all these crimes, which is why they were led to believe a serial killer was on the loose. All the victims were black females. Um, they were all relatively young. They were, for the most part, all found sexually assaulted and all dumped next to highways, um, all without their shoes. So that's why there's a lot of commonalities between these um, females. Um, Two years after the murder of Diane Williams, her aunt started the Freeway Phantom Organization, which is a support group for victims' families, um, but for also homicide survivors. And, like I said, the investigation for the Freeway Phantom is still open. There is a reward of $150,000, too. So if you, if you want to take advantage of that, you know any information, call them up, because I'm sure they'd like to hear it. And I'm sure you'd like $150,000. Um, because these crimes occurred over a broad enough area and at the time, which was the very, very early 70s, information wasn't shared as, re as readily, so a lot of the information is scattered or incomplete. Any evidence that is currently held is not, has not been good enough to go to prosecution. So they, they have a ton of evidence, but it was so scattered across so many dis so many different areas and through different police officers that like folders or binders or sheets, they've been lost or mucked up or thrown away you know there's just so much information but none of it's categorized and documented really well so it's really there's a lot of missing pieces but the information may have been there at one point but be, but it's not anymore and just due to time um so there are one serious group of suspects and it's the green vega rapists so it was a gang responsible for a lot of this type of activity in the same exact area during the same time and interviews were held and one gang member implicated another this story is wild so the one gang member said that he could provide all information to convict someone but only if he remained anonymous this fact was agreed upon and the information was shared and that said inmate knew key facts about the murders that only police and the perpetrator or someone close to them would know and the inmate had an alibi that checked out and his information was credible and accurate so they believed him to a t like it was it was perfect they knew exactly who they were looking for this guy had a lot of quality information and uh things were like golden hunky dory so the inmate had an alibi that checked out i just said that so it clearly wasn't him he knew the guy who who committed these crimes um so unfortunately though 
There was an election being held in Maryland, and one of the candidates announced that they had a lead on the case and that the information came from that inmate. And after this, the inmate refused to be interviewed and denied ever saying anything. So they had one really good opportunity to uh, find this guy, and they they fucking blew it because of politics, which is so stupid. Um, In 2009, detectives were hopeful that the discovery of some DNA would help prove in solving these crimes, but I haven't seen anything since that article was written, so I'm going to go and say that maybe it was futile or, you know, the DNA didn't come up with any leads or any cold cases or anything, so, or any solved older cases. So whoever did this, uh, either there wasn't enough evidence to convict him or, you know, maybe they had a clean record since this time. So that, my friends, is the, this case of the Freeway Phantom. I hope you had a delightful Sunday and you all are staying healthy and, you know, in good spirits. I hope none of you are sick and I hope none of you are put in the position where you might get sick. Um, everybody needs to stay calm and content during these times. I know it's, it's a scary, it's a scary situation, but I think if we keep our minds level and we don't freak out and everybody is adult and serious about this, I think... I think it'll be okay, right? At least that's what I keep telling myself. So, um, with that being said, I'll see you guys on True Crime Tuesday.